They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally, they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. Come back. Baby, come back. With the bye, 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 bye. With the bye, 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 bye. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Come back. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 I'm very echoey today. I know, I was going to say, you held back there because you're so echoey. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually echoey to me to the extent that it's quite distracting, as if I'm on stage, like a rock band, and then someone's in my ear or something. Um, so it, now, I, d- I don't know how it sounds for you. Now you get a taste of what it's like listening to you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... It wow, to me wow this is really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listening to me once isn't great, let alone having to do twice every time. <laughs> oh god, I hate I hate it when you can hear your own voice. It's awful, isn't it? Like when you're on a Skype call or something to someone, all you can hear is your own stupid questions being read back to you. <laughs> <laughs> but welcome to the podcast, do banners. Um I was trying to think who are we you're softening your voice so much, you sound like quite a quite almost like a, a counsellor or something. Is hey, this an M- is it NPR? Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing an NPR voice. (laughs) And that's when we thought, but does it change the world? Could could this be the killer? (laughs) But, um, yeah, no, it's it's because I'm I'm very quiet. It's because it it seems so noisy from it. So if you, if if our, if our voices are out of whack, we apologize. Um, but welcome to bad boy running. We've got really amazing. In fact, a few of our listeners of this today's episode might be in an echoey place as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how many jokes you can make about this because it's not very funny. For no. them. Um, but uh, that probably doesn't help you as a listener to know what we're talking about. But we've got one hell of a um, one hell of a guest today um, and one hell of a topic. But obviously, before that, we're going to talk a whole load of utter shite. <laughs> As you've come to expect. (laughs) (laughs) But it just seems so much controversy in running in the world currently. Everything, the thing is, it's funny, isn't it? Because like we've had, we've been talking about, we talk about cheats, breaking records, which are very, leads into talking about cheats, talking about Russians, talking about, yeah, everything's about cheats. And I've got, someone sent in, well, well, actually, while we're starting on cheats, normally, um, uh, professional podcasts would end with letters and things like that. We're going to start <laughs> with letters, partly because it's so rare that we get a letter. <laughs> oh, no, 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 we get loads of letters. I just forget about. I read it. And I go, oh, that's nice, and then forget to read them out or or even reply or anything. We've got loads of letters, but this one's this one's good because it focuses on um, uh, Rosie Ruiz, who was um, the uh, cheat um, that uh, did she die. She, why, why were we talking she, about that? I forgot. She, she, because her death then meant that everyone dug up in her... Basically, when you die, everything you've ever done that's bad is then repeated to, for the world to listen to while you're not there to defend yourself. <laughs> but I was just thinking, it's, they should have a little nursery rhyme to do with Rosie Ruiz ruined the run by... <laughs> <laughs> you could come up with it's a really good one instead of Peter Peter Piper picks a pepper it could be Rosie Ruiz ruined a run by ruined a really long the run results for 
<laughs> We're nearly there. <laughs> nearly there. <laughs> What, so what's the letter about? So this is the letter. This is the letter from uh, from Kathy uh, Lemay. So obviously we need you know we 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 didn't know anything about her because um, and we would the question that you asked is Daniel you know is is this kind of folklore like well known in the US mm. and um, it seems she is. So so Kathy says good morning, fine gentlemen. Indeed, we in the US, mostly especially in Massachusetts, know all about Rosie Ruiz. Law has it that people saw her on local television with a, with flowers on her head and then said. Didn't I see her on the number five Crosstown? <laughs> there's, a, there's a combination of I cannot believe she pretended to win the Boston Marathon and I think I love her. Mostly, <laughs> mostly, that, that was what, do you know what? You've summed up B- BBR perfectly. So if you've not listened to them, you've summed up BBR. <laughs> when we talk about cheats, there is an element of admiration in there as well. <laughs> I'd love it. Did she finish with like her bag of shopping and stuff? Well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That, she, still had a bus tag with on one it. of those with one of those trolley shopper things. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly, we women couldn't believe how good her hair looked as she crossed the finish line. As when I crossed the twenty six point two mark, I look as though spectators have been throwing bricks at me, and I lost a kidney at mile twenty. Your American do better pal, Kathy. P.S. Little known fact about Rosie: she qualified for Boston at NYC Marathon. <laughs> at the NYC Marathon, she took the subway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and she has she has summed it up part of me i love the ingenuity i love the brazen the brazenness the of it is what wins it there the isn't it? Of it yeah not even trying to hide i mean i just and if you think about the, the cheats who are caught comrades who are two identical twins who happen to be almost the fastest runners on earth who dress in exactly the same clothes weighted in a at Portaloo. I mean, they're, they're, those, those parents have planned that for a long, yeah. long time. <laughs> I mean, the level of detail, and then they get caught because they're wearing the watch on the wrong wrist. And then you compare that Derek, to... Because Derek catches them. <laughs> Derek, <laughs> yeah, Derek spends Derek. 80 hours pouring over <laughs> to try and catch them. <laughs> and you compare that to... Yeah, it's jumped on the tube. <laughs> it's almost as though you're like, I cannot... The thing is, we love... It, people love uncovering something, don't they? I mean, I think that's what like motivates Derek. Really, is that it, like the idea of uncovering something? You know, it's just like, aha, I've done something. Whereas if you have someone that's as brazen like that, you're like, Mmm, anyone could see it. There's no, there's no uncovering. There's no mystery or tension. It's just like, wow. Shall we create wow. a cheaters marathon? <laughs> Isn't every la- UTDB event a cheaters marathon? <laughs> you're, you're allowed to cheat as long as you're not caught. Just to see. Just to almost be. It's it's not until that you don't you, really... you don't mean at a real marathon. <laughs> just like we've allocated this at cheetahs. <laughs> Let's do it for Edinburgh. <laughs> well, the cheetahs marathon is that you have to run through Edinburgh and cheat. <laughs> yeah, you actually have to drink water. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, and there do there do seem to be more and more stories, and the the media's definitely got an appetite now for cheetahs. Oh, it is. It, it it comes into every every running story. I don't. I, you know, well, cycling. You pretty much can't write about cycling unless you're you're talking about doping now. Um, yeah, and and actually, cycling's a lot harder to cheat just because the speeds of the bikes are so fast that even if you got on public transport, and also the races are in such unusual places, that if you got on, if you if you used public transport you'd you'd be seen or you wouldn't catch up because I love the bike- idea that you you try to hide your bike somehow by like wrapping it up 
or, or or pretending of it to be something else. I like the idea again, just being like a pantom- pantomime horse. Or... <laughs> it's a cello. What <laughs> pantomime horse? Um, but in terms of controversy, I mean, this one's a proper controversy. Are we going to talk about? Well, firstly, I listened to another podcast, which is uh, obviously never encouraged. What? But BBC Sounds, they did a really interesting one. I think someone put it in the group, but I've also been sent it from a few friends, where they were talking about what would incentivize a company who uh, we all know who we're talking about. Would why would they essentially? Um, why would they create a whole program knowing that they were cheating and like backing a program full of cheats? And we can say that the, the Nike sponsored program was full of cheats, can't we? Cause that's, that's a fact now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know what you were talking about there. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about at all. Okay. We're talking about um, the Nike sponsored program that yeah, filled and, with cheats. Yeah. And the crazy thing is that, and, and depending on which article you've read nearer the time, it might be that this was known from the start when the, the whole um, Salazar being banned came out. But the CEO of Nike was CC'd in emails where they were talking about testing the limit at which you would fail a drugs test. Oh. Now... I don't know how big his inbox is. I don't know how if he reads it. <laughs> That's a personal question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's possible. It's conceivable there is a chance he may have not been told these exact circumstances, but you'd assume that information travels from his inbox to him. Well, right. There's a difference between... Um, someone emailing you and telling you who shot JFK and you go, well, you don't know about it. Well, cause you didn't read the email, but if you have a relationship with someone mm. and it's to the point where you're happy sharing in um, a form, which can be tracked Track. and copied, mm. Mm. then that is a pretty casual exchange of information. Especially when you even put it as, it's CC'd. It's copied. It's in, it's in the form in which you're emailing them. <laughs> just to remind you, I'm just going to copy the CEO of Nike. <laughs> that went through his head while he was doing it. Oh, and my goodness. So, yeah, and I've, I've not followed up on the research to know if they've made a statement about it, but we have to accept... And, and I mean... You've got to wonder about the timing that the weekend that this was all exposed was then the sub two, which obviously was highlighting their new trainers. And is that coincidence or not? Um, I mean, I I think it probably is. But um, yeah, that's something we need to be aware of. Like we we forgave Nike, their supply chain. Well, did we forgive them the supply chain years ago? And no, we didn't. They said they said we didn't know about that, or we, you know, it was our, it was our partners, it was our contractors. We've changed. Now we have the CEO of the company clearly in the. What's the best way to say? It? Well, clearly involved in, involved with, with in the, the controversy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's. It's very unlikely that the CEO wasn't aware that they were testing the limits of which they could take drugs legally. 
I mean, it's just not even legally, not not legally uh, take drugs without being caught. Okay, okay. I can understand. The thing is, devil's advocate here. Mm. Um, Wouldn't you test that though? Wouldn't you? If you if there are limits, it means that you can go up to limit. The thing is, the whole idea of doing things in spirit of the sport. The rule isn't you're allowed to take as many of these drugs as long as it doesn't surpass this. That's not the rule. So, for example, if you were to go through... Well, what is uh, the, so what is the rule? What is the, the, what is the, the rule? Is, does the rule say you're not allowed... You're not allowed to take testosterone. You're not allowed to take these things. And that's why, for example, they all suddenly have these allergies from when they were younger and need inhalers and because that's a way in which they can get round taking that drug and have it in their system because they can say well i've always talked about for the last so, three months but then, I, that, but then that's not then that's not a rule then is it if they are if there are other ways of taking it and they've got exceptions then there isn't a rule that they can't take it there is an exception to that rule so if they can find an exception surely but the when they were taking things like testosterone and they were having these, you're not allowed drips where you're allowed to, you're not allowed drips putting in these drugs in inside you. Unless and you do it, unless, unless you're doing 50 uh, Ironman uh, in 50 states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's the thing there. If, if you get drugs tested at work and they go, right, you failed, you, you didn't fail the test for smoking cannabis, or for doing crack, you're right. You can go, oh, it's great, guys. All you do is a tiny amount of crack every day. Like the rule is, the rule is set that you're not allowed crack to take works crack. Like that. Um, I mean, <laughs> tell me the limit, and we can. <laughs> I do. Don't you? Th- I mean, we need to speak to an expert on this. I want to know what. <laughs> not that I want, because I want to test that. That's not. That's not what. It's, it's just the thing. So, like. And maybe this analogy is wrong, but I'm just thinking out loud here. Um, mm-hmm. If you, if there are limits to what you could, if you like, if you find a certain amount of something in your system, and if above that is is banned, then no, no, it's not that above that is banned. Taking those substances is banned. And so we're pushing it about being discovered. So yeah, that's that's fundamentally yeah. different. So yeah, but how, so, but how does that manifest itself? How how is that? How it, so? You saying that they are take? Okay, no, this is it. This is this is the same thing. Happens. It's about taking it and not getting caught. Okay. Yeah. So they want to know how much can we take without being caught. Okay. So, so this is, this is insidious. This isn't a case of um, like the sea is going. We're pushing the limits of performance or what we think we can do. This is. A straight out cover up. Yeah, they're not. The WADA are not saying you're allowed to take this much testosterone. If you take more than that, you're against the rules. They're saying you can't take testosterone, and we will test you. And they're saying, and then Nike, what? Well, Nike's sponsored coach has been testing which will flag, like how much will flag the alert, and therefore how much they can cheat. Right. Okay. No, that's fundamentally different. Okay. Um, well, can't remember. Is that good or bad? Is that bad? That's bad. Mm, but the interesting thing, <laughs> even the the person who was doing the podcast when he was when he when he was recording it, he then realised he went for a run himself in a gym, and he looked in the mirror, and every single thing he was wearing was Nike. Who did he? <laughs> yeah. 
even his socks were Nike socks. And he's like, well, I'm exposing this, but it just shows that unless we act on our views and we show that we don't think it's acceptable, then they've but got away you, with but it. But the majority of people that buy Nike is a fashion brand, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's a sports brand, it? but it's a, what's bigger, the, sport, the fashion brand side of it or the sports brand side of it? I mean, imagine this, the fashion brand in the fact that they want their influences for running to be, be between the age of 18 and 21. Yeah, no, but I mean, like, people that wear Nike who don't do running, like, like mm-hmm. is, is that a bigger audience? Because if, the, yeah. if, if Nike, the bigger audience of people that don't do any sport at all, then this doesn't matter in any way. No, but if it still affects their bottom line and suddenly if they no one's buying their running trainers, that will have a knock-on effect because if but people isn't, say... Isn't also, I don't Nike, like, don't Nike have like a stranglehold, Nike and Adidas have a stranglehold on retail in, in the UK? Like is, it, like, is it impossible to buy anything other than those things? I don't, I no. don't know, I don't know, I'm just... I do, I do know there's, a, there's quite a few chains that will only have enough space for five brands. Yeah in running trainers and so not necessarily a stranglehold of one or two of those but if you're like an on or i mean a second is probably in there but if if you think about the five biggest running trainer companies if you're number six seven eight nine trying to get in there is incredibly hard but then that that then changes from the size of the shop the retailer their focus and so but nike are very firmly in that yeah, you know, there's, you know, if you don't buy Nike, you have the choice of... Well, but if we don't buy Nike trainers, they won't stock Nike trainers. That simple. In running, in running uh, but what shops. But what if you want the Vaporfly? That's the issue, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is the fastest shoe out there. Although, interestingly enough, Reebok have just come out of an equivalent that looks like Buzz Lightyear. Reebok? Y- yeah, I think it was around? Reebok. What? <laughs> I thought well, they just did CrossFit now, didn't they? What? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. And so I'll, I'll quickly have a quick look. Yeah. So they've, um, someone posted in the group that they've created their equivalent, which is, it'll be really interesting to know whether this is just a case of it. Look, you know, we're saying it's equivalent. Uh, yeah. Reebok. Uh, Jonathan Kirkham posted they do look like it like buzz Lightyear in shoe form which to me is crazy because that almost makes it look like a toy as opposed to something that you'd actually trust but it'll be interesting to know whether they've done the studies on this and how it compares and whether it is just a case of them branding a trainer as this is our equivalent of it or whether they've come up with some kind of foam that is as responsive as the the zoom x vaporfly um because and also the trouble with with companies is once you set the price for an item have they come in thinking well nike's charging 300 for it so we'll come in at 280 or are they saying well it's only costing us this much we'll charge 80 quid like that's how they that could destroy the market if they suddenly go we're going to charge based on the cost to us um i do not know the answer to these yet Although maybe someone's just put that in the group and it's not even true. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so do betters. Are you going to continue buying companies from companies that are involved in cheating? 
and they are they, they, they are involved in cheating. We do know that that's not something they can we they can they can't sue us for that. Uh, well, you uh, they, no, you can say that they are involved with uh, individuals who have been proven to be cheating. But the Nike project was a cheating project. So they are involved in cheating. I mean, that's, I don't think that's. I don't, know, I don't know if that was, was that their mission statement? <laughs> <laughs> involved, but never. Involved, but not culpable. That's it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like I saying, I, I smoked, but I didn't inhale. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but from but I, do you know what I was? I'm hoping will happen. This is what I want to happen in the in the in the sports shoe market. I want Lidl to get involved. I like the <laughs> idea of them hold, doing those ads with someone with a, a vapor fly and going, "Oh, I've got this one for thirteen pounds." It just it looks just like it or whatever. <laughs> well, that's the thing. If someone can come out with an equivalent and they suddenly charge it at. 80 quid and it does work then suddenly the whole market collapses hopefully the whole market collapses <laughs> what we're looking, we're, we're, if this is the first uh, bad boy running podcast you've been in you've noticed why we've not got any sponsors <laughs> from, major, <laughs> from major running brands mainly because we're we're looking to break the system <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But if you Reebok, yeah, I don't know, Reebok about, I don't know about you, but all of, all my freebies have dried up all of a sudden. I don't understand why. I mean, we're not doing any running anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah. Don't bother sending me freebies. What's the point? But talking about freebies, Ooh. I I received an email recently asking for ambassadors oh, from okay. the Edinburgh Marathon. <laughs> I hope you applied. I wasn't sure what my morals were on this. So, Dubaz, if you've not, if you don't know about the Edinburgh Marathon, it's been voted um, for the last 17 years the worst thing on earth <laughs> by readers of um, of of Marathon Weekly. <laughs> Is that litigious? Bad boy guarantee. Bad boy, just say bad, bad boy guarantee. guarantee. You have to look at it within um, the context of this website. If just, we should say at the beginning, of everything we say in this website is fictional. <laughs> <laughs> Including we've made up our guess. It's just our accent. <laughs> and so, um, yes, yeah, so Freestack, which uh, is an influencer platform, they are looking for ambassadors for the Edinburgh Marathon. So part of me was thinking it would be very funny oh, if I applied for that and became an ambassador for them. Do badders, there is your challenge. You have to become the worst ambassadors for a brand. <laughs> we'll be really good up to the build-up, and then during the course, just just do things. Oh, you an agent. We need an agent in there. Like a windswept picture of like I've just got eight miles of headwind along the East Lothian coast. Um, cues for the buses to turn and get back. No, yeah, yeah, that's it. Prepare amazingly. Go, this is it. I'm going to smash it. This is going to... They said it's <laughs> one of the fastest marathons in the UK. I can't wait to smash it. And then literally from the moment you turn up, it's disaster. Or every, <laughs> everything. Everything's a disaster. Like, you know, your like, clothes get your, ripped. And <laughs> tag your picture at the furthest point from Edinburgh. <laughs> They're calling this the Edinburgh Marathon. I am officially 12 miles from the centre of Edinburgh. So do badders, do do apply. I feel too guilty to apply because I think it would reflect badly on the platform and I know the owners and so I wouldn't want to get them in trouble. But yeah, it's it's 
it's a chance for a bit of mischief. They get a suit, though. They get a suit. So, um, talking about mischief and mm. um, and cheating and generally terrible performances, we haven't talked about the um, peer-to-peer Baywatch UTDB event. Ooh, I, I've not heard much about it either. Well, it's a long time ago. I was, it was set outside. It's, it's a few weeks ago, and I just keep forgetting to talk about it. Um, that's, it's left that kind of impression on me. With, with all these important uh you know running milestones and uh, performances for some reason it's been overshadowed i can't i can't think why but um yeah <laughs> we basically um nice nicely organized utdb event by uh, by russell banks running from the pier in worthing which um was a um i wouldn't say a favorite haunt of mine when i was younger what um, happened on they, the pier? they used to have a club at the end of the pier called rutherford's yeah it was dreadful and a lot of bad memories. And I can't think you, any good memories. Where you met Libby? There's not, there's not where I met Libby. <laughs> any fights? Uh, not with me, but there were lots of fights. It was Worthing. Okay. Worthing's just the fighting capital of the South Coast. It's just unbelievable. But so we, so we ran from, um, uh, from the pier. It was a lovely day. It was for a UTDB event. But then Dan Barrett didn't turn up. When Dan Barrett organises it and turns up, it normally rains solidly. But it was lovely. Ran from you know peer to peer, absolutely marvellous. Um, the best part about it though was um, uh, one of the two ballers, Charlie, uh, turned up for his first uh, UTDB event. So we had all the usual suspects, you know, Russell Hobbs, Lee Fuller, you know, with his with his camera, which was hilarious. And um, and so yeah, we plotted this route. Now, when he told when Russell Banks told me about this route, I was thinking, I can't think of a single good pub between Worthing and Brighton. Like, it's, it's 14 miles. I couldn't think of a okay. single good bit. Like, pubs on the seafront, between, like, generally tend to be really scary old man pubs that you kind of get glass before they even welcome you in type thing. So I was, I'm wondering, things have changed a little bit. There, there, are, some, there are some okay pubs along the way now. Um, but the funny thing was, so Charlie turns up, so he, he was labouring under the uh, misapprehension that it was going to, he, he'd, he'd be able to join us and then um, be able to leave us in Port Slade, um, which was only like, what, eight miles away, um, within three hours. We're like, oh my goodness, you've, just, <laughs> you've never been on a UTTV run before. <laughs> covering, covering eight miles in three hours would, would be like even, even conceivable. It was hilarious. So he, he came and met us at the end of the pier, and he'd left his wife. Um, and their children in the uh, on the seafront and stuff, um, and they went off to get something to eat. Abandoned, abandoned. Ab- abandoned. So he came, and had a drink with us, and then we ran to the next stop, which was literally just at the end of the pier. But his wife and children were in there, <laughs> <laughs> so we had this embarrassing situation for him, where he'd left his wife like an hour ago, and we haven't. He, we're still like within <laughs> like two hundred meters of. <laughs> Did he ignore her the whole time? No, no, he, he didn't. Kind of he was just like, kind of like embarrassed and, and everything. He, they handled it all very well. But it was good. It was a really good event. And the good, the good thing about it was that we managed to um, revisit the spot, the famous spot where the uh, milkshake was thrown at me. And I think no. it's now, yeah, I think it's now been put on the map. Um, were the sta- stains still there? The stains weren't still there. There were a lot of stains along that route, but that is not one stain that was there. But we knew, we do know that we need to put up a um, 
a red plaque there at some point. So it has been it has been marked for future reference. What I didn't realise was that um, for a long period of time, Russell uh, Russ Stobbs was following behind me with a milkshake. Um, taking photos, um, I didn't really, I didn't notice that at all. But it was good. Like Russ Banks organised to have uh, like his 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 daughter and her boyfriend came and provided a um, uh, a beer stop for us. No yeah, yeah, it was great. It was really, really good. It was great. So <laughs> if you if you get to if you got the chance to come to UTDB event, do badders, do that. This is remember, it's nothing to do with the running club. This is for real runners, real runners. Indeed. I think it took us something like six hours to do like 12 miles or something it was insane i mean that's not far off your pb so <laughs> yeah, exactly imagine if i'd have drank some more i could have i could have hit my pb <laughs> well how are we going to seg into our, our next guest who well that kind oh. of that kind of running was criminal oh clever clever nice well um We've already done a bit of an intro directly before Frank came on, but this is just an incredible story. So, Nick, take it away. So, Dubatters, we've got um, one hell of an episode tonight. Sometimes when you hear a story, you you almost can't believe that it that it's true because, one, the impact it can have in a positive way, but also your mind just boggles at, at how something could possibly how it could happen, how it could work, and the logistics, the all the question marks. And so tonight we've got Frank, who's come on to tell us about the marathon, so the running group he organises, which is for marathon runners inside an American prison. So welcome to the pod, pod, uh, podcast, Frank Ruona. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. So Frank, t- take us back to the beginning. How how did this begin? Well, back in uh, 2005, I got a phone call from Laura Bowman, who was a teacher at San Quentin Prison. She wanted to start a running club, and she was looking for a coach. So at the time, I was the president of the Tamalpa Runners in Marin County, which is about a 600-member running club. And I sent out an email to the membership to see if there was anybody that was interested in uh, coaching a club at San Quentin Prison. And I never heard back from anyone. (laughs) So she got back to me a couple weeks later. And uh, I told her that nobody had shown an interest, so I said I'd come over and give it a try. So started up in June of uh, 2005, and we're still over there. And and to to give us some perspective, because my knowledge of the kind of American penal system is is very much based just on television and movies. Um, what, what can you tell us about San Quentin as a, as, as a prison? Well, it's the oldest prison in California. It's been around since the mid-1800s, uh, and it's pretty antiquated. Uh, we, there, when we started, there were over 5,000 inmates there. Now it's down... To about 3,000. It's still a bit overcrowded. 
and uh, you know we they they have uh, because they're they're sitting in the San Francisco Bay Area. They have more volunteer programs than any other prison in uh, California. And uh, over the last, I'd say, 10 years or so, they've really uh, changed their attitude and they're, they're working more on trying to have programs for rehabilitating the inmates rather than just punishing the inmates. And, and are the inmates, do they, is it all crimes that are in there? Are these people that are in there for a short term? Are they lifers? Like what's the mix of people? Well, I would say that the bulk of the guys in our running club are uh, guys who are in with a life sentence. But it's a life sentence with the possibility of parole. And uh, we've had a number of parole you know, since we've been there and we try to uh, maintain contact with them if they're staying in the uh, area. And uh, we've got a, you know, about 10 or 12 who we still get together with on the outside on a regular basis and uh, try to keep them running. And, and so when this, this club first came about, then the idea of it, what do you think the intention was and and what did they actually expect the club to be in terms of how how could they run how much and when well the original intent laura bowman has she she named it the thousand mile club and that was with the uh, goal of each of these guys who were in the club of running a thousand miles while they were a member of the club and uh, you know, it's gotten you know to the point now where we've got guys who've run uh, twenty five thousand miles while they've been there. Wow! Wow! Well, uh, and about uh, four years, three four years into the club, we had our best runner. Uh, came up to me and he said that he'd been doing some 20-mile runs on the weekend and he wanted to know if I thought he could uh, finish a marathon. And I told him that if he could uh, run 20 miles by himself on the weekend, I'm sure that he could finish a marathon. So we we started having an annual marathon, uh, I believe it was in 2008. And uh, we're going to have our 13th uh, marathon uh, here in November. Well, and, and so we, we're going to come on to the marathon in, in a second. But when, when you first went into, well, firstly, when you discovered that you were going to be the person who'd have to be the coach, um, how did you feel about w- what it was going to be like going in there to create this club? Well, I mean, I've been coaching uh, the Tamalpa runners for many, many years, and I had been coaching them for years before I I started there at San Quentin. And I kind of took the same attitude that I would uh, go in and do workouts similar to the track workouts that I did with the Tamalpa runners uh, 
on a weekly basis. And I mean, that was kind of the approach I took. And, and were people responsive straight away or, or what do you, how did people respond to it and what do you think their motivation to join was? Well, I mean, uh, initially it, we didn't have a big group and I mean, there were, there were day or evenings when I'd go over there and I'd be running with one other inmate, uh, but it's grown considerably, and we've got 60-plus uh, uh, on our roster now. And these guys, it's gotten some publicity. And uh, uh, since we've introduced the marathon, these guys kind of that's their focus is we start the year off uh, with a one mile run and we work our way up to a marathon by November and these guys get serious about it. And they, uh, they train seriously for it. And what, what are the logistics like in that? So in terms of the amount of space that you, that you actually have to run, what, what, what sort of area size are we, are we talking about? Well, I mean, there's an, a lower exercise yard that has a, a baseball field, and on that field they also play flag football, soccer, and there's a basketball court, there's a tennis court, and we have kind of a, uh, a, a loop with, a, with six 90-degree turns uh, that we've measured out for a quarter mile on the, uh, the exercise yard, and we've got it marked... Uh, you know, as a running lane, and uh, we do all our running on that quarter-mile loop, whether we're doing uh, four laps for a mile or uh, 105 laps for a marathon. And, and was it easy to, like, did you, were you given that loop to start with, or did you have to try and figure out how you could find the space for people to run and then negotiate that with the, uh, the the prison guards and also the inmates? Well, no, I mean, it, it was easy to determine, uh, you know, where the running loop would be. The guys were running basically that loop before we even started the club. But, uh, you know, I took a measuring wheel out there and uh, we measured it off so it was exactly a, a quarter mile so that we could have accurate distances and and when people were running around training and because you, you mentioned there was just one person at first and for me one person doing something is so far away from critical mass that actually it almost invites ridicule from uh, from anyone else watching like what how did how did it gain momentum as a club do you think well the first two marathons we had uh I think the first one we had like 13 guys start it and we had one finish and that was the fellow who had asked me if uh, I thought he could run a marathon. And then we did it again the next year and we had like 23 start and we had one finisher and that again was the same fellow that uh, finished the first one. But by the time we had our third uh, marathon, uh, we had 20-some starters, and we had about uh, six finishers. And it's, uh, it's 
you know, built up since then. Our uh, last marathon, which we ran in uh, January of this year, we had 23 finish the marathon. Wow. And out of how many starting? I think 29, I believe. Wow. That's really, that's, I mean, that's similar to a lot of normal marathons in finish, finishing rate. Well, I mean, it's, like I say, we've, we've gotten a routine now where we run you know, pretty much a running event once a month and we build up to the marathon. Just last Friday, we did our three-hour run and we had uh, 24 run the three-hour run. And of the 24, I think about 18 of them ran a full three hours and the other six ran a portion of that. Uh, we didn't have as big a turnout as we'd hoped, but there had been a uh, lockdown uh, a couple weeks beforehand, and I think a lot of the fellas didn't participate because for two weeks they were locked in their cells and they did not get the uh, opportunity to do any training. In terms of in just to, to get an understanding, really, of, of how it works from from the daily perspective of the of the, the prisoners, mm. do, how much how much free time do they have to train? I mean, are they choosing to do this rather than something else or do they have as much time as they want? How, how does that work? Well, it depends a lot on what other programs they're involved in, if they've got jobs or whatever. I mean, typically, most of the guys on Saturday and Sunday can pretty much do what they want to do. And then uh, if they go early in the morning, they could run during the week or in the evening, they can run during the week. You know, if they're well behaved, they've got a good record uh, and they, they have access to the uh, exercise yard, uh, you know, pretty much whenever they want, other than when they're working or in a class or in some other type of activity, or depending on you know what's happening at the prison, there's uh, you know, there are lockdowns, and when there are lockdowns, the guys are pretty much uh, restricted to their cells, except when they go to get chow at the mess hall or go down to have a shower. Other than that, they're pretty much in a uh, nine by six cell with another uh, inmate. And, and what do you think it is that motivates them to get involved? I didn't hear you. What, what do you think it is that motivates them to get involved? Uh I think it, it varies per, per guy, but I, I think a lot of them, uh, you know, they, they see that uh, by coming out and working with the, the group that they start uh, getting in better physical condition and they get serious about running. And we, we've had some guys who are uh, very good runners and we've got, uh, guys there right now who are very good runners and they uh, 
They, they want to do the you know the best that they can, and uh, they they get a lot of pride from being able to say that they've finished a marathon. And do they does are they recognized by non-runners within the prison? Has it now got to the uh, do, is it respected to have run that marathon by everyone, or is it just within that running community? Oh, I think it's it's respected by most of the prison population. Now that you know, we had the one fella, Markel Taylor, who uh, paroled back in uh, March, and he for four years he was the number one runner in the club. And uh, six weeks after he paroled, he ran in the Boston Marathon. Wow. Wow. And uh, when I go into the prison, guys are always asking me, how's Markel doing? How's Markel doing on the outside? I mean, there's a lot of interest by the other inmates as to, you know, how these guys are doing once they parole and they get out. And and have you seen that they do all the runners – transition um as people are they does it have a transformative effect that that we almost hope there would be or is it is it very different from person to person well i mean i think the guys who are serious about it and uh, have gotten out and stuck with it uh, it seems to help them uh, i'm I, this markel taylor who he, he is working uh at the construction company that I retired from, and I meet with him still uh, several times a week. I met with him yesterday, and he ran a race uh, here, you know, in Marin County. And he's uh, he's training to run a marathon in Sacramento in December, and hoping to break three hours there. And and now that people really actively involved is there a case that the guards have realized they can use this as a carrot or as a stick and people are stopped from training or people are kind of removed if they they if they don't comply with all of the rules well i mean it's obviously uh you know they want to keep their status where they can, you know, continue to run and be able to get out there and run. So they, they try to be on their best behavior. You know, I mean, this, this is with, uh, most of these guys are in various self-help programs, whether it's, uh, educational programs, they've got, uh, work programs where they teach coding for computers. They teach uh, construction uh, uh, skills and whatever, and these guys get credit for participating in in these programs, and uh, they can get uh, time uh, taken off of their uh, – when they're eligible for a parole hearing if, you know, for each of the – the positive things they do. So there's a big incentive for these guys to 
get involved in various programs that are self-help programs and trying to uh, to make themselves uh, you know more uh, ready to transition back to uh, society. What about in terms of like things like running kits? Do they is that do they have to borrow that or, or or can they buy that how how, do, how does that work if they, if they need like shoes or and trainers or, or changing their trainers after after use or another kit how, how does that work uh we provide sho- uh, new pair of running shoes to the members of the cl- active members of the club uh once a year once they've had uh, six months uh, where they've been active with the club. And as a matter of fact, tomorrow morning I'm going in and we're going to be putting, uh, uh, handing out 48 pair of uh, <laughs> uh, uh I've, I've been, uh, we, we were able to get uh, Adidas to uh, donate the shoes this time and I've been working on uh, getting them approved for the last several months, and we finally got them approved, and they're in the prison now. And like I say, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., I'm going to meet with the PE teacher at uh, San Quentin and a couple of the guards, and we're going to put the shoes into a uh, locker out on the exercise yard. So they'll be able to use the shoes while they're out there, essentially, and then um, they'll be left on the field. Yeah, unfortunately, they're they're not. They don't allow them to take the shoes that we provide them back to their cells. They have to keep them in a storage locker out on the exercise yard, which I don't agree with, but it's the best we can do. And has the has the promise of those shoes? Have you seen that actually people have stayed on the program more than they did before, or is it not that much of a motivation? Oh, it's definitely a motivation. And when these guys join the club, they're like, "How how long before I can get a new pair of shoes?" And uh, it's, it's definitely an incentive. Well, what about things like? Um like nutrition so when you when you start becoming a serious runner you're really worrying about you know what the kind of things that you're eating how i mean how what 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 can they do in terms of the the food they're provided or anything they can do in terms of recovery is is that just very very limited well when we hold the longer runs we bring in uh electrolyte replacement uh uh powder we bring in uh I don't know. You're familiar with goo, yeah. Mm. Goo chops, uh, salt tablets, all of this stuff for the running events. But uh, they pretty much have to, uh, you know, take care of themselves for their training and what all. And uh, the uh, the diet they get uh, at the mess hall, I don't think is the greatest, but. Uh, the best best that they you know we can do and do they alter the the, the supper then the night before to in, improve the carb 
percentage and do a bit of carblading, or is is there is that too much of an ask? Well, they everybody's got their own uh, own program. I mean, we we give them uh, marathon training programs that come from the various periodicals and stuff, and which you know, give. Uh, ideas as to how to, you know, nutrition and all that stuff, but how much is really available to them uh, you know, sometimes uh, isn't, it's definitely not what uh, what we can have here on the outside. And what about, what about things like, um, you know, they're suffering from running injuries and, uh, and stuff like that? I, I mean, are they are they able to get help with that or is that is there just nothing like that set up in the prison in order to help them well i mean one of the the big issues at san quentin and actually the whole uh, state of california prison system was that the healthcare system was not adequate and uh, it was actually taken over by a federal receivership uh, here back in the early 2000s and the uh, the medical you know system now at San Quentin is much better than it once was uh, I, I I don't know whether you're familiar with uh, these heart rhythm problems like atrial fibrillation atrial flutter and that type of thing but uh, I know that we've got two or three of our inmates in the club who've had, gone out and had uh, ablations at the local hospital to take care of heart rhythm problems. Uh, we've had guys have knee replacements. We've had guys have hip replacements. And, uh, you know, they get medical care. It's, sometimes it's not as uh, quick as they would like, but uh, there is... Uh, you know, there is medical care at the prison. Now, we often see in, um, I guess, in TV dramas, movies, that prisons can be very racially segregated in how uh, inmates spend their time, who their friends are. Have you found this has been, d- does this happen in the club as well? Or has the running club managed to bring together people who might not necessarily spend time together otherwise? Well, Typically, our breakdown of the, the uh, runners is that we have about 30% uh, Caucasian, about 30% black, about 30% Hispanic, and then the other 10% is uh, Asian or uh, uh, you know other uh, races, and they all get along well. You know, when we're doing our racing and they all encourage each other, but they're still, you know, in the uh, the prison yard, there are areas where they're pretty much the blacks control this area, the Hispanics control another area. And, you know, there's definitely, uh, you know, segregation that way but uh, within the running club these guys seem to seem to get a well get along well uh, regardless of you know what uh, race they are and and do you hear back of it like would how do you think that's gone on to be echoed in their time 
in prison or is is this when you finish the training is that kind of the last you hear about what happens after that uh i mean i know guys have gotten into trouble like uh hispanics if they got northern hispanics and southern hispanics and uh i i know of at least a couple of guys who they wouldn't get in a fight to uh, help their, you know, whatever group they're with. And the group then put out a uh, hit list on them. And some of these guys have had to be transferred uh, out of San Quentin just for their safety. So, that, I mean, that stuff goes on. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say uh, other than we try to discourage it. We try to keep these guys to where they get along and they don't, uh, you know, they don't get involved in, uh, disputes and fights and that type of thing. Cause have you, have you seen that this has been copied in other prisons as well? Is it, is it becoming more typical that prisons actually consider exercise as a way of rehabilitating? Well, I think the, the, the other prisons are trying to do that, but, uh, I, I I think San Quentin is considered kind of the uh, you know the the model prison in the California prison system right now, and a lot of that has to do with it being located in the San Francisco Bay Area and have people from Cal, Berkeley, and Stanford and all over come in to do volunteer programs. So I I, I think. San Quentin probably has as many volunteers and as many programs as all the other prisons combined. Now, you mentioned the, the marathon itself. So um, come, run, come marathon day, do you, do you have any specific criteria that people have to have done a certain number of runs or have achieved a certain distance in training to be able to run the marathon, or can people just turn up? Uh now, if they want to sign up and give it a try, uh, we let them sign up. I mean, I've had a couple of guys who they hadn't done a race uh, with the club, uh, and they signed up for the marathon, and they finished the marathon, which was very surprising to me. What, what, what time? Excuse me? What times did they get? Oh, typically five hour or so. That's brilliant for untrained marathon where you'd think it, it's not even as if they'd have had to probably wouldn't have got around to running, you know, 10 mile run, let alone a five mile run before. Um, and so on race day then is like, how do you set up the, that area for a marathon? That, do you bring people in? Are there huge logistics that have to go into it? Well, we've got 10 plus volunteers who come in and help uh, when we do running events and we have lap counters for every runner and we log every lap that they run on a, on a uh, lap counting sheet. So typically a, a lap counter's got two or three runners that they're logging every lap that they run to make sure we 
get the right distances and the right times and all. So we, we have quite a bit of uh, volunteer support. And then there are a number of uh, inmates who don't want to participate or are injured or whatever, and they do volunteer work. And, uh, you know, we, between outside volunteers and inmate volunteers, uh, we make it work. And do, do people find it when when you say start, you know, are, are people actually racing each other? And do people find it quite hard to pace something like that? Well, for sure, the the top, I would say, four or five are are very competitive and going out racing the other top four or five. Uh, and then there's a lot of guys who train together. And you know what what I try to work on, uh, you know, as we build up the distances. Is to get these guys figure to figure out what pace they can maintain, you know, when we do the one-hour run or when we do the half marathon or when we do the two-hour run and we've just did the three-hour run, and to go out at a pace that they can maintain for the full three hours, and uh, you know, I then. When I get the results of these, I go through and analyze them, and I look at, okay, what was their average pace for the first hour? What was their average pace for the second hour? What was their average pace for the third hour? And typically, I'm giving these guys feedback saying, hey, you were able to maintain this pace, you know, maybe for two hours, but you died big time on the third hour. So rather than go out at the pace you went out for the first two hours, go out at the pace that, you know, you averaged mm. for the three hours, you know, and then if you've got some life after three hours, then pick it up. But don't don't try to do too much or else you're going to die. And uh, we, we spend a lot of time trying to get these guys to figure out what is a realistic pace and trying to get them out running that pace. And are they typically pacing to fill then, or, or is it once a lap they come through and there's either a clock or you're telling them the time of their split? Okay, we've got a clock and we, uh, I, I, the guys I'm lap counting for, I, I give them every lap they come by what their distance is and what their time is. And, uh, I'm expecting them to uh, you know, use that as a, a basis for uh, um, trying to maintain a uh, consistent pace. And in, in the build-up, then, I mean, how many miles would you say a week they'd average in their training? Well, it depends on the runner. I mean, the serious guys are probably getting in uh, 40, 50 miles. And the, uh, the less serious guys are... 20 or 30. And at the end of they, when they finish, does anything specific happen at the, the finish line or is it just a hug of a, so just a case of a handshake and a, a big smile? Well, the uh, last year, the guys, we brought out a tape. So when each one finishes, we put a tape up and they go across, they break a tape. <laughs> That's the first time we've done that. Uh, uh, 
they get a, uh, a certificate uh, after every running event, which tells them what, you know, what the event it was, what their, their place was in the group and what, what their time was. And, uh, I give them a, a recap of the race and, uh, you know, an analysis and comments as to what they should be looking at for the next race. So we try to give them uh, a fair amount of feedback so they can, uh, they can learn and, uh, progress as uh, distance runners. And, and what type of progression have you seen, um, like the biggest progression from someone during your time there? Oh, I mean, guys have come out uh, when they when they first started who were having trouble running, uh, you know, running a, a mile. And uh, they've gotten to where they can finish a marathon. And a lot of them then have taken uh, – an hour off of their, you know, the time they ran the first marathon. Maybe the next one they take a half an hour off, and the third one uh, a full hour. And you know, they, a lot of these guys uh, you know, have become pretty good runners when, when uh, at the start they were they were pretty poor runners. And it's that. Uh because for us we're now we're so used to varied routes to having music podcasts friends to listen to do you think they do struggle on the long runs to to, to focus um, or to to just battle boredom or do you think that helps with them and think through their their lives to that point well i mean a lot of these guys say that when they're doing this runner running they're thinking of their the victims of their crimes and they're, uh, you know, they're dedicating, uh, you know, the effort to those people. And, uh, and I, I, I think, you know, seriously, they, they they feel that way. And at the end, because as runners, we tend to get a bit of a come down when we've had a big event and we've achieved it. Is it similar for them in, in prison or is it, potentially even harder well i mean uh when we finish a running event i I tell the guys to uh make sure they hydrate uh, drink all day to rehydrate stretch try to take care of their bodies but i mean they're they're going back to a like i say a nine by six cell with a with a cellmate and uh, it's you know that's that's about all they have to look forward to until they uh until they get an opportunity to to parole and get out and and do you think it has changed the length of time that people have taken to parole that people have become runners uh all i know for some of them yeah yeah i mean for some of them they've uh They've been able to take a fair amount of time off of their uh, sentence, and you know we, uh, my my coaches and I, we write uh, letters to the parole board for a lot of the inmates, uh, you know, talking about our experiences with them and our impressions of, uh, of them, and that. Uh, 
you know, hopefully these guys are uh, are rehabilitating themselves and they're ready to to be released. And we give them our opinion, and uh, we, you know, I I get letters back from the parole board, uh, you know, thanking me for the letter I sent. And and for the parole board, do you think it's because they've dem- by demonstrating they've doing this running? Um, they've demonstrated something that they hadn't before, or do you think the parole board actually see, because of the running, the change within the person themselves? Well, I don't think it's just the running, but the running combined with the other programs they've been involved in, I think, uh, have a an impact on the parole board. And I know that a lot of the inmates have uh, have you know told me that. When they had their parole hearing, that uh, one of the parole board officers said that they are impressed by the fact that uh, they were able to uh, run a marathon or run two marathons. And, uh, I, I think it, it, it definitely uh, doesn't hurt. Uh, hopefully, it helps. And do you think that also? rolls over to when they've got to the outside do you, do you think it reduces rehabilitation rates and do you think it also helps them with um, adjusting to the world well i mean of you know we've had hundreds of guys come through and be members of the running club and uh, for the most part uh, i only know of one who uh, has come back to San Quentin uh, after he was released. Most of these guys seem to be doing well once they get out. And do you think that almost gives a? Uh, do you think they should make it more mandatory then, if it's having such a, a positive impact? Or do you do you think it's the the fact that it's the self desire to do this that actually is a transformative effect? Well, I mean, I don't think you can require guys to be long distance runners. I think they, you know, they got to want to do it. Uh, the running club is one of many activities that they can do. And I mean, there are, there are like six sports that they are active, uh, have active programs at San Quentin and, uh, you know, along with all other programs. And I think, you know, what, what a guy's interested in and what a guy wants to work at is, you know, what he should be involved in. And if he thinks running is something that he would like to do and that he, you know, he can uh, work at, uh, we want to give him the opportunity. And, and do you think there is something different about dedicating oneself to running that is – is very powerful for um, helping people, or do you think it is, as you say, just having something that people can focus on no matter what is the important thing? Well, I mean, I've been a serious runner for most of my life, and I've been involved in uh, running clubs, and I've, I've always found that, you know, people who are involved in long-distance running, you know, seem to be you know, good people, and uh, they they get along well together, and they encourage each other. So, I'm I'm a, an advocate of uh, you know if you're able to 
to be a long distance runner, it's it's a good activity. I, I, I encourage these guys at San Quentin to give it a try. And once they get out, we try to try to keep them active. And a lot of them, you know, are active in either the running club here in Marin County or other running clubs. And do you think there'll ever be a time when inmates should be able to um, take place in other races, even if they're controlled races outside, or is it, is it too restrictive, really, because of their uh, their pasts? I, I didn't get that. What did you say? Do you think there'll ever be a time when inmates will be able to take part in, in other races, um, even restricted races, or um, is it too difficult to to clear for that to happen, or would it be too problematic? You mean come come out while they're in prison and yeah. run races on the outside? Yeah. Oh, I think that would be tough. That would be tough. I mean, what happens at San Quentin is that a lot of, for the other sports, a lot of outside teams come in and compete against the inmates, but the inmates don't go out. Uh, I mean, the in you know, the basketball team, the, the Golden State Warriors actually have a group that comes in once a year and uh, – and has a game with the uh, San Quentin basketball team. And we, uh, we've had, uh, there's a running club in Los Angeles called the Skid Row Running Club. Oh, yeah. We've, we've chatted to them before, actually. Yeah. They've come in twice and run with, the, uh, with our running club, just a fun run. That's the only uh, outside group that's ever come in. And run with our running club, and, and our uh, the guys in our running club really enjoy having the Skid Row people come up and run with them. And do you think that's something you can see develop more with other clubs coming in? And because uh, I, yeah, you know, I, as a runner, I find running with others is far more enjoyable. Um, or is is that also difficult? Well, I can tell you that just having the uh, Skid Row Club come in once a year for me is a logistical problem because I have to mm. get all of the uh, members of the Skid Row Club uh, gate cleared and approved before they come up. And it's it's a, uh, you know, logistically it's not an easy process. So mm. I'm, I'm not looking to have any other clubs come in uh we we it's it's difficult enough just uh mm. having the uh you know the running events we do with our guys in, you know in the in the and you know you're now on the the 14th 15th year of the marathon can you ever see a time that you'd extend it and introduce the the ultra marathon uh no i think a marathon is plenty <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm sure there are a couple of guys who would be interested in doing it. And I mean, if they wanted to do it, you know, a couple of them on their own, uh, run a 50 kilometer or something, uh, you know, I would go in and work with them uh, as individuals. I, mm. the, I, I, when Markel Taylor was. Uh, there and uh, I, I went in one 
Sunday and had him do a four-hour run where he almost did uh, 50 kilometers in four hours. But uh, I, there aren't too many of them that are looking to run further than a marathon. Yeah. Um, well, brilliant. Well, I think it's incredible what you're doing, and it sounds as if it's having a, a really bit beneficial impact on the individuals and society. So um, and, any other questions, J.D., that you'd like to throw out there? Uh, there's just one more thing, really, that I wanted to ask you, Frank. That of, of all the different reasons for doing it, what what what's the main thing that that keeps you coming back and um, mm-hmm. and, and and been doing it for such a long time? Ah, uh, I mean, I think I've built up a relationship with uh, with the guys that are in there, and I enjoy doing it. Uh, they appreciate. Uh, us coming in and uh, it's you know, we we get some satisfaction out of seeing them make improvements and just getting uh, you know the uh, camaraderie that we have with them and uh, I, we I've got ten plus volunteers who typically come in every so often and every one of them seems to enjoy doing it and uh, I enjoy doing it so uh, as long as I'm physically able to uh, I plan to continue doing it well I'm glad to hear that you uh, that you will uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you so much for the you know, positive impact you've had in the prison and uh, long may it continue have yeah. a great evening bye alright bye bye Ooh, unbelievable! Well, just so interesting because it's it's so different to. I like I like how all of our knowledge is from movies. <laughs> it really is, and, and the trouble is with movies, you don't know. Like sometimes what you think is being incredibly accurate is complete horseshit, and sometimes the reverse. Shane's not like Shawshank. Really? Them running around to the sound of classical music. What, is, that, is, that not, is that not what it's like? I'd like to say Andy ran a good lap. <laughs> I'd like to say. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um, that was really good. Was that all right? <laughs> I also didn't know what you were doing. And then eventually I was like, oh. Well, it. it, it used to be my favourite film of all time. It might still be, actually. I've, the number of times I saw it between 1995 and 2000, um, tens of times. But, yeah, it's, it's so interesting because, in some ways, what they're doing is, is really simplistic. And they're doing exactly what, you, what it sounds like they're doing. But in other ways, it's so such a, a groundbreaking thing to do. And the reality of of being an inmate there it's, it's quite hard to understand you know whether it, it, if it's something truly freeing and it, you know invigorating or whether running around just the one mile set um distance lap every time is is that horrific or is that it's just so hard to understand how they uh, feel about it the, the thing is when you when you hear about it like that i keep thinking okay so you basically you you have all your meals provided you have your accommodation provided. You haven't got to deal with family or children, and you have as much time to train as possible. I know, I know some runners who who see that as as the as the perfect training camp. 
I think you say that, and I'd imagine their food probably isn't that that great. In um, they finish it right. I need my three to one protein, protein recovery drink. Pronto, pronto. But yeah, interesting that they. I still don't really understand which what trainers they run in day to day um it's before they had these ones delivered I, I saw the video and actually do bad is what we'll do we'll, we'll put the little video that is kind of three minutes long that they've put in they've created if we and remember we always promise we... to put a video but then when, when it comes to it we completely forget so remind us or google it google it and um yeah, they they seem to be wearing a, a complete mix of trainers, and and that's what we forget that sometimes we overcomplicate things, but some things are absolutely essential to running miles and miles and miles. And so um, the the fact that they they're doing a marathon year after year, um, yeah, it's really really interesting. And and the fact he said any one person, to his knowledge, has ever come back in. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be massively different to the general population, prison population. But, but there's, I mean, the thing is, I, I was watching that um, that little uh, trailer stroke documentary, and I wonder how many people have actually gone out, though, because there was some guy in there who was, like, 32, and he wasn't going to get out till he was, like, 83. Mm. And you're like, some of them are serving, like, crazy long sentences. Uh, watching that video, there was one guy who... He just looks like a superhuman. Do you, you know the guy I mean? He's absolutely ripped and he's smashed. I mean, he must be the quick one because he's storming around. Sorry, a bit of a man crush there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was just surprised. Maybe, maybe they'll let me in the prison so I can run with him. <laughs> I, like, I like the way Frank's like, yeah, and if you're getting any ideas of coming into the prison, it's a lot of paperwork with me. So no. Yeah. Yeah, um, but I'd be really interested to know, and we'll never know this, I'm sure, but whether running does have a different transformative effect to playing other sports or not. Um, you know, it's, I, weird. it's weird, isn't it? Because there's always that, I've been watching a couple of things recently, and there's always that thing about people that are kind of like, you know, um, uh, chaotic in their mind and chaotic in their lives. You know, if they go and do something like a disciplined sport, like some kind of martial arts or something like that, they find that actually it helps them control control their life. I wonder if like running is 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 kind of like that um, in in the sense that it adds a structure to your mm. week you you wouldn't otherwise have. And then if you add that structure in of, of training, then you've got to fit things around it, and it and it brings a kind of structure as well as you know all the all the the positive chemical effects that you have from from running as well but then but then like you say there's a lot of negative effects of running in the sense mm. that you know that like the like runners come down and um you know if you get injured then you know you can't do it and it and it makes you feel kind of depressed and yeah so i i wonder yeah i wonder if it does have the same effect and also whether if we were to meet the people that were runners there are they people who we who would have been runners on the outside? You know, is it, does it attract the type of person who's a, a runner personality, or is it a complete mix of people who are just thinking, well, what else have I got to do? Let's give it a go, or drawn to some element that might not be obvious if you were on the outside? Because um, if I was in prison, I'd get ripped. If I'm honest, wouldn't you? Like you'd think I'd get ripped. I'd read loads of books and get ripped. I'm like. 
the last thing I do is like, oh, I'm going to do some running. JD, there is zero chance that if you if you were in prison, you would be talking about all these challenges about how you're going to get ripped. And five years later, you still wouldn't have run a 22 minute 5K. <laughs> we all know that's the truth, right? <laughs> the You'd be like, I'm, oh, but I, next year I'm going to get the, ripped. Or else I'm going to get is, that Aryan think, tattoo or whatever if, it may be. If, if I would well, have to have a tattoo when I'm in there, so that because you have to align with someone, wouldn't you? And I, well, aligning with the Iron Men wouldn't be the right thing. <laughs> but the thing is, if I'm on the inside, there's no way I can do an Iron Man. So actually, it's my way of protecting myself against losing those kind of bets. I see. I'm, I'm going to go on a big tangent here. What? I, I've just started watching a, a Netflix. So Briggsy's away last weekend. Um, I've been trying to do loads of work. I love, and- I love any story that goes, Briggsy's away, so I've been watching dot, dot, dot. <laughs> And I've also been watching, <laughs> but um, there's this there's this documentary on um, I can't remember what it's called. I'll, I'll remember it for next week. Where I mean, you know, when you see a documentary, you think, is this really happening? Like, I know television's produced, but which what if this is real? What if what if it isn't? They've decided to send six civilian people, yeah, um, into the prison system <laughs> what to see to to un, un uh, to reveal the corruption within the prison system <laughs> and it starts off quite slow paced and it's never that fast but you so, think is this is this a documentary or, or a film it's a documentary that's the thing it's a documentary where what? this is a it, it doesn't sound like it's similar to you know i don't think people are in there all for murder and like they're not all lifers but there are some nasty people in there yeah. and they're sending in people who one of them got bullied at school and he's going in there to see if he can what survive prison what? without being bullied what, what? that's a crazy that's a crazy thing one of them um says three men three women uh one of one of the women is a cop which you think is pretty risky anyway going in but also while she's in there turns out she's got a massive chip on her shoulder about lippy prisoners it's a good trait to have when you're in prison <laughs> but she's only three episodes in and it's looking like she's gonna take on the equivalent of the boss of the whole of the the pen um and it's it's this weird tv where you're watching it thinking this surely isn't allowed like this this I mean, you, you you hear about Frank saying how much paperwork he has to do to clear people to come in, but they can't control what's happening in this this mm. cell. It's not faked, and you you're seeing fights break out and people being you know knocked to the ground and losing a tooth, and the, the others are just in the background, just stood there, um, or having their food stolen off them, and yeah it's it's compelling watching partly because i think it could go horribly wrong wow okay. yeah <laughs> i thought i'd tangent that in as a i'll find out the name of it but so, so um, sorry what is your what is your suggestion then that i do that yeah yeah you go in there and see if you can win the marathon 
See if you get ripped. <laughs> yeah, I do that then. Yeah. yeah, go in there with a brand new pair of uh, Nike Next Percents. See how long you keep them for. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it's it, in a way, it's because Frank's in the middle of it and just being a great guy, doing a great thing. He's probably. Um, he's, he's not being a sensationalist, as I think as we're probably used to from our from our other guests about their own, uh, yeah, what they've done. So it'd be interesting actually to to read up a bit more about it and to hear what others say, because I imagine Frank has been incredibly humble and uh, and and downplayed quite a lot of, uh, of of how incredible what what's happened. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you definitely get that feeling, but. Um... It's really, it's just, it's just really interesting how you have to deal with those kind of logistics and just the thought of going out and running around the same space again and again. Because even with, um, mm-hmm. it was Stephanie when she was yeah. training. At least the payoff was eventually the work that she did there meant that when she was out in, you know, on the trail or on the multi day mm. she's doing, you know, that is that is the payoff for it. But mm. the payoff for the, for this is just carry on running around the same thing. I mean, I know they've got nothing else. There's nothing else there, but it's just, it's the monotony of it. I suppose there must be some, something quite meditative about it eventually. Yeah. And it would be interested. I mean, it sounded like it really does have carried quite a lot of weight with the parole board, but it'd be interesting to find out whether some of them are tactically running purely for what it can give them um in in the in terms of the eyes of the parole board and whether they find they they find that actually it helps them in other ways or whether there are a few people on there who just hate running but they're doing it because they get out five years earlier it's it's a big push it's a big push yeah but i I suppose it's a it's a combination of things isn't it i suppose if you look at all the other all the other programs and stuff you'd be doing mm. um and actually you know if if someone is prepared to do running and they hate it just to go out early then hopefully that's giving them the kind of um i mean it's essentially like doing a job isn't it <laughs> so your job is just running and so they get outside and we're like well actually this is much better than running so i'll just do this and not go back that may be maybe the best thing come back to jail you've got to run again mate <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying. I come out. Oh, oh, now I've got to get a job. Oh, actually, I'm going back in again. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's well. I like how we've got in the minds of prisoners there. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, don't don't hunt us down, guys. <laughs> we wouldn't last a minute inside. But um, yeah. Well, really interesting episode and so nice of frank to come on take time out and do that so uh but do bad if you've if you enjoyed that episode as as jd said stephanie case she works in the u.s embassy in afghanistan and she was talking about how she trains for not just marathons but multi-day ultras where she'll be at the back of car parks um she'll just have to fit in miles because she can't leave the compound at all at times so in, in some ways it's quite comparable to the uh, the space i think she actually had smaller space to train in and uh, you know less variety no one to run with either so that's really interesting to hear about how she um deals with it mentally um 
and kind of gets through that and as JD says rewards herself with these races as, as her her motivation another episode is the skid row um, episode as well that as uh, as Frank mentioned um, that's uh, that's a that's a great one to listen to yeah and that's that's actually a, a two-parter with the running charity there are a charity in London Alex Eagle amazing founder of it where they take um, people who are homeless people who are refugees um, people who are uh, you know, in basically in, in trouble and introduce them to running in the same way given the structure and, and the transformative effect that's had so uh, yeah there's quite a few really really powerful episodes out there um, but thanks for listening guys if there's any particular subject or any particular themes guests races you'd like us to talk about or to interview in the future do either spam us on Facebook or tag us into a post in the Facebook group and uh, well I if you've liked this, please subscribe. If, if you were yet to leave a review, a five-star glowing review on iTunes, please do. It makes such a big difference to making a scene, getting us out there and introducing more people to the uh, to the podcast. And by now, the merch for the club has gone out. Ooh. We don't know what's going to happen. We only ordered 200 of certain items. We don't know yet whether we're going to order more or not. So Ooh, that's if, a limited edition. That's limited edition. Sounds like it really is. So I, I don't know whether, uh, if you have even seen any, because no one's allowed to talk about it. Um, but if you want to get involved, take that risk. You might have to be quick. Um, but then again, we might have decided to get loads more and it's fine. Then you don't need to be quick. <laughs> quick. So who knows? Take the risk. Or, ooh, 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 ooh. Um, yeah, I guess I guess that's about it, isn't it, Jenny? Yeah, it is. That is about it. But a bye 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 bye. Fuck you, buddy.